I've titled this message, Why Grace Life? Because as your pastor, I wanted to communicate the distinctive of Grace Life compared to other ministries out there. What we do is not exclusive because many other churches try to do the same thing. And we're trying to do what they do, but other churches have different focuses. Some are focused on outreach and evangelism. Some are focused on worship and music. Others are focused on Bible study and Bible literacy. Others are focused on community, etc. So after hearing this message, you may say and decide, you know, this church is is not for me. And I can understand that. Uh, We won't be and, and can't be everyone's cup of tea. But I hope at the very least you'll have an open mind about the heart behind what we want to do. When I say what we want to do is not exclusive, I want to emphasize, as I've mentioned in past sermons in the series, that much of this content comes from John Mark Comer, who is, who is a pastor and author at Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon. For the past seven years, I've been on a journey towards personal healing and spiritual formation, and not until recently have I found a way to articulate and present what God was doing in my heart and in my life. Then I found Peter Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, how you can't be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature, and this led me to John Mark Comer's stuff on practicing the way of Jesus. And as a leader of the church, it, it clicked for me and reignited a passion for Jesus. And I was discerning that this is what I need and this is what our church needs. And graciously, Bridgetown Church is looking for partner churches to use their resources and invite other churches to practice the way of Jesus. So using Comer's teaching and his books, along with Scazzaro and Tim Keller and others, Uh, We are presenting to you what we hope will be helpful and formative in your life in God. So if you go to the website, you'll hear the stuff that I've been presenting to you, and I highly encourage you to do so. It's it's so good. So let me start by reading Mark 3, 13 to 19. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to which he gave them the name Boanerges, which means son of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus was a rabbi or teacher, and he gave an invitation to people. The invitation of Jesus was not, believe in me and you'll go to heaven, but the invitation was, come and follow me and be my disciple. If you read through the four Gospels, you'll find that Jesus says, believe in me about five times. Uh, But do you care to guess how many times Jesus says, follow me? He says it about 20 times. The Hebrew word for disciple is talmid, or the plural is of Talmud is Talmidim, and in Jesus' day it was common for a group of Talmidim to follow and learn from a rabbi. A Talmid followed the rabbi everywhere, every day and every hour of the day, often without knowing or asking where the rabbi was going. The Talmid rarely left his rabbi's side for fear that he would miss a teachable moment. He watched the rabbi's every move, noting how he acted and thought about a variety of situations. Legend says, that Talmudim would follow their rabbi into the bathroom even when he's doing his business because they were afraid 
that while he was in there, he might say a prayer and they would miss something. In Jesus' day, gifted students would listen to various rabbis and then approach their chosen rabbi and ask, May I follow you? In effect, the student was asking, Do I have what it takes to be like you? The rabbi would either accept the student as a Talmud or would encourage him to pursue a trade. Rabbis, they never recruited. They never went around recruiting students. That would be just beneath their dignity. Students would go to them and beg them, could I get in with you? And so then the rabbis would test them. Uh, Do you know the Torah? Have you memorized the whole thing? Are you able to interpret it rightly? And do you know what different rabbis have said about different interpretations over the centuries? And if the kid was good enough, they'd say yes, but usually not. Usually the rabbi would say, no, you're not worthy. You don't have what it takes to be one of my talmidim. So uh, go home, get married, raise a family, love God, lead a good godly life. That's a good thing. God bless you, but no, you can't be one of mine. You can't be a talmid under me. And only the best of the best made it to Talmud status. To get accepted by a good rabbi in Jesus' day, that was the pinnacle. In our day, it's like making it into Harvard or Stanford or Yale, and they would leave everything for this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. If you got to follow a rabbi, you were the best of the best, and it was a dream for many young Jews. So when Jesus invited people to be his Talmud, it was no wonder they would drop their nets immediately and follow him. Jesus broke this pattern when he actually chose his own Talmidim. He asked his disciples to follow him, and they knew without a doubt that their rabbi believed in them for him to invite them to be his Talmidim. And as they came to see Jesus as Messiah, they realized that God believed in them also. Jesus breaks the pattern by inviting you to be his Talmid, his disciple. The best way to describe what a biblical disciple is would be uh, the concept of apprenticeship. As I've explained what a relationship a Talmud has with a rabbi, there are three goals of a Talmud. Number one is to be with your rabbi. In the Mark passage, it says that Jesus called them that they might be with him. To be with your rabbi is part of the apprenticeship, to be with him, to be everywhere with him. Number two, it's to become like your rabbi. When uh, Jesus uh, said to Peter, James, and John, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Normally we understood that as a clever play on word uh, by Jesus. You are a fisherman and I will make you fishers of men. And typically I've understood it as some sort of like evangelistic foreshadowing that you'll be some evangelist for, for God. But in reality, it's not a cheesy line made up by Jesus. It's actually a well-known Hebrew idiom A great teacher was called a fisher of men because he would capture your mind and attention and imagination. You're a fisherman, and I will make you a great teacher, a rabbi. I will make you a fisher of men. And number three, uh, the goal was to do what he did. Um, And Jesus, uh, in this passage, was preaching and driving out demons. So what does it mean for modern uh, 21st century Christians to be a follower of Jesus? It means to center our lives around these same three goals. So our goals are to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. 
first to be with Jesus. Well, how do we do that? I mean, Jesus is not around. He's not here. It's through relationship with the Spirit of Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit. So therefore, Comer says, this means that the first and primary goal of apprenticeship to Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Spirit. Developing a constant awareness and connection with the Holy Spirit. It means carving out time to increase your awareness of God in you, around you, and through you. If you remember John 15, it says, Remain in me as I remain in you. This is a metaphor that Jesus uses um, uh, as a branch remains in the vine, it will produce fruit. So for many of us, we want fruit without the abiding part. We have no regular awareness or connection with God, yet we want to bear fruit. But it's impossible for fruit to be made that way. Yet we pray and hope and expect to be loving, patient people. We want the fruit without abiding. And then we get mad at God because we think he's not doing his part. All the while he remains in us, but we don't abide in him. Dallas Willard said, The first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental practice uh, or secret for caring for our souls. Practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. It's recognizing, God, you've been here the whole time, but I have not been here. I've been in traffic, in my worries, in my stress. I've been somewhere else, but not here with you. Have you ever talked to someone and know that their mind is in a different place? Um, they have this blank stare and they're looking through you and you know that they're not hearing anything you're saying. Or maybe you're preaching a sermon on Sunday morning and you can tell that the people sitting before you has their minds someplace else. You know what I'm saying? But maybe their mind is about the failed project at work or worries of not paying rent on time. Um, you don't know where their mind is, but all you know is that they are not present with you. Now imagine how not present with God we are on a regular basis. Maybe we're present with God an hour on Sunday, and that's the only time you're present with Him. Out of the 160 hours in a week, um, that equals 0.6% of your time with God. 0.6. Not even 1%. So, in order to, to be with Jesus, we practice silence and solitude to be present with Him. I haven't been present with you, Lord, but now I'm here with you. I'm practicing the presence of God. The next goal is to become like Jesus. And the reality is we are all disciples of someone or something. We are an aggregate of different influences, your parents being the, most, um, the main influence, but also culture and pop mainstream music and its messages. So the question is, who or what are you being formed into? So if you li listen to left liberal media, then you're being formed into that ideology. If you listen to right-wing media, you're being formed into that ideology. Or maybe you listen to a lot of Oprah Winfrey, Jordan Peterson, or Tony Robbins. And I I'm not saying it's neither good nor bad, but you're being shaped by them. There's no denying it. Those of you on the left cannot understand how right-wing people can believe and think the way that they, they do. Those of you on the right cannot understand how far from center and how the left is destroying our society. So you're being shaped by someone or multiple sources. And the question is, who is shaping you? Who or what are you becoming? 
Are you becoming like Jesus or are you becoming like someone or something else? Because I want to be a person who trusts God more than carrying my stress and my worries like the heaviest weight on my soul. I want to be a person who loves others with an agape, unconditional love like Jesus loved me. I want to be a person who experiences peace in the midst of a storm, joy in the midst of tragedy, patience in a culture of hurry, kindness when revenge is easier, gentleness in the midst of harsh abuse, faithfulness in the midst of fragile relationships, self-control to live by the Spirit and not my flesh. And this can only happen when I become like Jesus. And the third thing, uh, third goal is to do what he did. The whole goal of apprenticeship is to carry on your master's work. I mean, we could make a list of all the things that Jesus did, which I think we will. Um, but some, some of the things he did was teaching about the kingdom of God, healing the sick, casting out demons, peacemaking, eating and drinking with people far from God. And now you may not be able to do any of that or some of those things now. But eventually, one day, your goal is to be able to do all that. Uh, my wife and I talked to our plumber one day, and he told us about not going to college, but doing an apprenticeship as a plumber. So during his apprenticeship, his goal was not just to know all about plumbing and make YouTube videos about plumbing. His goal is to actually fix some pipes and plumb a house, or you know, whatever the verb form of what a plumber does. So our goal as an apprentice of Jesus is not just to know some facts about Jesus. It's to actually do the works of Jesus. Does that make sense? He says in John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means it's to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And I want you to notice that the invitation is to be an apprentice and not a Christian. The word Christian is used three times in the New Testament and is actually used in a negative way. But the word disciple is used 268 times. A Christian in the Western world is usually someone who has gone to church before and goes when it's convenient and doesn't identify himself as Muslim or Buddhist or, or rejects a different religion. A Christian for a lot of people in the West is about Jesus following you. Jesus follows you around and gives you a pick-me-up in the morning and answers a request of yours from time to time, rather than you following Jesus. He invites you to experience what John 10.10 says, to experience life to the fullest, or abundant life. This kind of life is where you're changed and transformed, where you're set free from addiction, lust, and greed, where you're able to forgive and love your enemies. And this won't happen by coming to church three times a month and reading a devotional when you've got a few minutes to kill, and then bam, now I'm a super Christian. This kind of life that Jesus offers, it just won't happen by itself. It takes a life built around practice in community. Matthew seven twenty four says, Therefore anyone who, hear, who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. What Jesus is saying is experiencing life to the fullest will take a lifetime of practice. We're talking about practice. Not a hobby, but a lifetime of practice. Anyone who's involved in a sport, an instrument, a second language knows this. It's like, yeah, of course. You need to practice if you want to get good. 
Who doesn't know that, Mom? Come on. But it also takes practice to experience the fullness of life. So how do we experience this full life? We live like Jesus. Comer says that if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, before I was married, I was more into what my body looked like. Um, I know it's hard to imagine, but um, I wanted to be like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine in the, in the X-Men movies. Right? I'd, I'd show you a picture of him shirtless, but I, I don't want to make anyone here stumble. He worked out six days a week, twice a day. He practiced water dehydration, uh, 90 minutes of weightlifting, followed by 60 minutes of cardio twice a day. He logged what he ate. He counted calories, a strict regimented planned out workout of how many repetitions and how much weight and which exercises to do on alternate days. So this was the lifestyle of Hugh Jackman during that time. So when I see what his lifestyle is or was to look as great as he did, I'm thinking no thank you to that lifestyle. I wanted the result of that lifestyle, but I don't want to live that kind of lifestyle. I'd rather eat ice cream and Cheetos and not run at all if possible and definitely not lift any weights. I don't want to wake up at 5 a.m. to work out. I'd rather sleep in until as late as I can. So what I'm saying is we want the life, but we don't want the lifestyle. In business talk, your system is perfectly designed to get the results you're getting. So if you look at the fruit in your life, and if you don't like it, you have to know the system or habits of your life is designed to get the results you're getting. So if you don't like the results of your life, you need to change the system or change your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. In Matthew 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. It's like, yeah, I want that. But when I compare my reality of stress and anxiety and what Jesus just said, it, it's just so opposite. I mean, how do you get that peace? It's living the lifestyle of Jesus. You get that peace by living the lifestyle of Jesus. In the midst of the storm, Jesus was sleeping in the boat and he was at peace but we live in over busied hurried stressful anxiety filled life where we are addicted to screens and social media and we're not getting enough sleep we're purchasing more material stuff than we need we're not taking a sabbath and then we wonder why don't i experience the peace of jesus i pray i go to church but i'm still stressed out why is that because peace isn't this transferable commodity that we can download from the internet. Peace is, a, is the byproduct of apprenticeship to Jesus. As you live the lifestyle of Jesus, you begin to experience his peace. The lifestyle of Jesus is the way to the life of Jesus. And I haven't figured this out myself. I've, I've had to learn from, from rabbis like John Mark Comer and Tim Keller and others. Apprenticeship to Jesus was never about believing in the right stuff, but it was about living a whole new lifestyle. Life to the fullest was an overflow of a life shaped by abiding in Jesus. If you want this kind of life, you need to rearrange your habits to the habits of Jesus. 
So let me pause, and I'm guessing all of this might feel overwhelming right now. Um, I know it feels like a setup for failure and a lot of lots of guilt, but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No one condemns you, and we're all doing this together. And let me give you a tip or two. In the long term, you'll need to simplify your life down to what really matters. Slowly cut out all the extra unnecessary activities, and then gradually add in the peace in the practices of Jesus. So adding silence and solitude, prayer, fasting, living in community, what we call life pods. And for those of us in life pods, we can no longer see it as a meaningless social gathering as many of us see it through the filter of having prior negative experiences of small groups. But life pods will be the vehicle where we can practice together in community the lifestyle of Jesus. And so these things are what I've added to my life over the years. Do I still have a long way to go? Yes. Do I excel in all those areas all the time? No. But when I'm practicing those things consistently, I do experience Jesus. And we're just starting this new life pod system. So in the beginning, it'll be a little clumsy. It'll be messy. We might feel like we're terrible at it. But it takes practice. And not practicing a little bit a few times a year because if, if, if that's what happens, we'll perpetually be terrible at it. But it's frequency over quantity. Frequency over quantity. And uh, that'll be another sermon series, I think. Frequency over quantity. So that's the long term. In the short term, just set aside a little time each day for silence and solitude. Uh, we call that daily office. And uh, we've talked about that. And we will talk about that. Um, but just set a little time each day for silence and solitude. Uh, we're on our phones for over five hours a day, according to statistics. So instead of five hours, let's make it four hours and 55 minutes and use five minutes to be still before God. You know, life without Jesus is hard and difficult. You don't need me to tell you that. Life with Jesus is beautiful and full. And you are invited to a beautiful and full life. Not an easy and comfortable life, but a beautiful, fulfilling, meaningful, full life. There is a life that is waiting for you and inviting you to have if you'd be willing to slow down, quiet your mind and body, and be with Jesus. Jesus says, I want you to be my Talmudin, which means that from this moment on, to, uh, on the number one goal in your life is to be with me, is to learn from me, how to become like me and to live under the care and love of this God who loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. And maybe you don't think you have enough faith or maybe you don't think you believe in him enough yet. But you know what? He believes in you. That's what the story of the call to discipleship is about. The amazing thing is not that they would believe in Jesus. The amazing thing is that Jesus believed in them and then in you. So come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for believing in us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for loving us. Um, thank you for being for us and not against us. Thank you, Father, for being our uh, Master, our Lord, our Savior. And Lord, we say yes to uh, living 
the lifestyle of Jesus. We say yes to being your apprentice. And Lord, would you um, help form us and shape us to be more like you, to become like you, um, to help to do what you did. Uh, would you help us in this journey? Would you remove guilt, shame, condemnation? Uh, Lord, we just pray that um, you would help us during this journey because we want to be more like you. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.